Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST84, the Saccharine Trust cassette-only release, The Sacramental Element. We always enjoy getting into some Saccharine Trust. This episode is no different, except for the fact that instead of one guest, Brant, we have two. Yeah, we have a surprise second guest, Mark Hodson, who played bass on Surviving You Always, is going to be our second guest tonight. Yeah, in addition to Jack Brewer, which is very cool. I mean, we kind of, I guess last time when we went through Surviving You Always, both you and I, I think we're, you know, really in agreement that it's like a really excellent, solid album. I hope we were in agreement. I I worry about the older episodes sometimes. Why? Well, I never go back and listen to them. And did we give this album its due? I hope we yeah, did. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I'm pretty sure we did. I think we gushed over Surviving You Always because it sounded like Pigment Vehicle, and it was a killer album, except for the Lame The Doors song on it. <laughs> I'm excited to get into this one again, especially because of the guests. We yeah. definitely gave it its due. I think what we were commented on was that it's unfortunate that it probably has not gotten its due. I think what we also said is Pig and Icons gets all the love but surviving you always um i think we both liked it better than pagan icons way better yeah for sure man why don't you uh hit me with some spiels before we get into the guests okay i was just gonna note something for our listeners you and i were actually hanging out this weekend we we don't live in the same city but we were together and we were at a record fair and you bought a crocus album (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah based Here, on based bring on, it on based on my bring recommendation on. i just have to note I, that yeah well which and so which one was it and why did i buy it keep going one vice at a time because i played it for you and you like acdc and it sounds like acdc there you go yeah. i'm only human <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i and like i said i think my dad will like it too next yeah. next stop cathedral yeah, no way, no way. Speaking of which, what was uh, what's the standout pick that you got at the record fair? What's the one that you're, you're like, yeah, I'm really glad I got that. Oh well, this band I really like, Natural Child. I failed to pick up their last record, Okie Dokie, which came out maybe in 2015 ish, maybe 2016. I have all their other records, and I didn't get that one, so I was happy to get that. I really like that band. What are they like? I don't even remember you mentioning that one. Oh, I should have played it for you. They're like a garagey band, but they're amazing musicians, and they kind of do a mashup of like I don't know, the Stones. They get a little funky sometimes. The guitar players got a little bit of a Jerry Garcia vibe going. They're really good, man. They write they write good songs. They do some like country covers, like you know, good ones like Tom T. Hall and stuff like that. They're really good. I bet you'd like them. Interesting. What about you? What was that Jay Robbins 7-inch we were rocking? That was really good that you picked up. Oh, yeah. I was actually going to mention, like, you know, I bought a few things, but that's probably the standout. I bought a bunch of stuff that was, like, no surprise, you know. I bought a lot of bootlegs, actually. Angry Samoans bootleg. A Black Flag bootleg we posted a picture of. Yeah. um, I got two Black Flag bootlegs. I got the last show on LP. right, right, yep. What else? I bought a ton of cramps, bootlegs. But that that band that you're mentioning, Roll Kicker Laydown, 
Right. They released one single on DeSoto Records, and it's from 1992. Hmm. And uh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's, I got to track that it, down. It's a great single, and we were we were commenting like you. I think you mentioned how Jay Robbins has got that solo album coming out, and I think you mentioned it on an earlier episode too. And I mean, my my comment back was, yeah, you know, that's gonna rule. It, pretty much anything that he's on is uh, is good, especially if he's singing. Yeah. This definitely sounds like this band, you know, Jawbox, Burning Airlines, Channels. What's the other one there? Office of Future Plans. Yeah. It's got that type of vibe to it for sure. It's really good. It's got it's basically him and Peter Moffat, who was in Burning Airlines, Government Issue, and Wool, I think, for uh, a couple of tracks okay. anyways, maybe a couple of singles. So no surprise that it's a good single. It's definitely like when I came across it, I I just flipped it over and I saw Jay Robbins there. I'm like, okay, interesting. And then I saw he's on vocals and I was like, yoink, that one is sold. Yeah. And it's great. Right. Yeah, it is good. When we were hanging out this weekend, Ryan, I mentioned a podcast to, to you and you were like, yeah, I don't listen to podcasts, but I found one. <laughs> I found the perfect podcast for you. Maybe you've already heard of it or heard it. Oh no, what is it? It is a Spotify original made in conjunction with the BBC and it's called Stay Free, The Story of the Clash. Oh yeah, is it like that five part thing? It's actually eight parts and it's narrated by Chuck D and it is awesome. Oh yeah, I heard, I read about that. I am going to check that out eventually. That's a good recommend. Thank I listen, you. I listened to all of it in one day. They interview. Oh, what? Well, they're like they're like half an hour each, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah. there's some good footage of Strummer, and I think current interviews of Paul and Mick and Topper as well. And is uh, it is it a podcast or is it visual too? No, it's as far as I know, it's only a podcast. Oh, okay, I thought you said footage, but you mean like uh, uh, like audio footage? I guess. Audio. Yeah. I got it. I and got Chuck it. D's I like... Chuck D's perfect for a host too. You know. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. No, that's a good one. It's on my radar, but now that it's uh, an official recommend by Scambo, I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> they get obviously get to use like the Clash's music as well, and that always helps, you know. Oh yeah, for sure, good one. And then the other thing I was going to say, Ryan, is Michael T. Fournier. After the whichever one it was, where I was complaining about how I wasn't going to watch the Punk documentary, you know, the the Iggy Pop one or whatever. Oh yeah, that four-part series or whatever, because you got a hate on for John Lydon now. Well, I love John Lydon's music. I just wish, yeah, yeah. I just wish he'd stop wearing those goddamn MAGA hats and being an asshole to Marky <laughs> Ramone and Henry Rollins for no reason and pretending he invented punk rock. But anyways, Michael said you should check out episode three. So I did. That one's on YouTube for free. Okay. That's the only one I've seen. He sold it to me <laughs> by saying that Joe from DOA gets a, you know, gets his due, and he he certainly does. It was interesting what you know, because it's like what an hour. It was interesting, kind of what parts of hardcore they chose to talk about. You know, mm -hmm. like they interview yeah, yeah. like Winston Smith, for example. Yeah, that's cool. It is cool. It's awesome, but he's not like not one of the touchstones of of hardcore. You know. Yeah, I mean. 
What's what's the hardcore visual artist shortlist from the early '80s? You you could argue Winston's in there with the alternative tentacle scene, but he's not top of mind. Like not not anywhere close. He to should be. He should be, but he's not. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, I can't think of who would be better. I just I wasn't expecting to see that. I guess. Which, yeah. Which was it, good because I expected the whole thing to be super lamestream. Or like the exact same documentary you've seen yeah. three times before. Exactly. I mean, a lot of it is pretty similar, but I got to admit, like, I'm not going to subscribe to another streaming service just to watch that thing. But I found it. I found that free episode on YouTube. I watched it for sure. If they sell that thing on DVD, I'll probably buy it for 20 bucks. It's worth 20 bucks just to watch Joe Keithley. AKA Joe Shithead, by the way, in case anybody doesn't know who I'm talking about from DOA, walk, like, cause they interview everybody on like this couch. <laughs> First to see him walk into the scene. Yeah. Slow-mo. I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. He does have a Neanderthal-ic gait to him. Yeah. But he's so yeah. awesome. He's such a nice yeah. guy. And, uh, as we mentioned, DOA always gets props from other artists for blazing a trail and it's kind of the same people that that give them props this time like duff mckagan and henry rollins and ian but it's always great to see you know and i'm, I'm glad they interviewed joe for it yep agreed what else do you have for spiels that's it i kind of i was bat i battened down the hatches because i was pretty confident you were going to bring up crocus and <laughs> I, I was like, you know what? I'll save my spiels for next week. I'm going to be on the defense mode right away here. All right. Well, there's Plus nothing. We have... You don't have to be defensive about liking Crocus, man. <laughs> that makes hey, it cool. Hey, I, I listened to it again today. It's good. It is good. Uh, should we get into history lesson part one and some of these killer interviews? Ryan, let's take this mess to church. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take this mess to church. That's right. History lesson, part one. All right. Saccharine Trust, the sacramental element. It's episode 84, and we have had a fair amount of uh, good opportunities to mention Saccharine Trust. I'm not going to recount all of them, but people who are fans of Saccharine Trust, like we are, should go back and check out Episode 6, which covers the Pagan Icons 12-inch. Episode 24 covers Surviving You Always. And both of those are on this Sacramental Element compilation. Mm -hmm. uh, SST 46 is the World Broken LP. And then episode 48 was We Became Snakes, which I think, Brant, we were both like really pleasantly surprised by that record when we yeah. listened to it. It was an unexpected mind blower. That yeah, one. I really liked that one. And we should mention uh, Joe Biza was our guest on World Broken and on uh, We Became Snakes. Yeah, you know what that's called, hey? What? Two banger? A two banger. <laughs> <laughs> it's a two banger. <laughs> we also touched on Saccharine Trust on episode 69, the Chunks compilation, which has a track on it called A Christmas Cry, which is also on this compilation a sacramental element here we are at episode 84 there's uh there's also a track on the sacramental element that is on sst 92 
the cracks in the sidewalk, which we'll get to in, uh, I guess, eight episodes from now. Yep. But Joe Biza, Jack Brewer are the main dudes. They've had a number of different guys in the bands. Even Watt played with them on the live record, the live improv record. Surviving You Always, though, is a big standout for Brant and I, as we, we kind of did a bit of a deep dive. Well, maybe not a deep dive, but in episode 24, about how they really remind us of a band that we are huge fans of in Canada here from way back called Pigment Vehicle, yep. who who we confirmed is heavily influenced by Sacred Trust, and in particular, that album. Big time. You know, that's kind of the rundown. I mean, they were big in the SST scene, but they were, and they were, you know, around a lot. They played a lot of bills. They were on a lot of tours, but they just never get the due that they're owed, I think, in terms of what they represented from punk. And like, when you listen to them, a lot of people would listen to them and go, well, that's not punk. And I, and I would say back then in SST, that's exactly what they were. They were their own thing. It was pure. It was, the, it was art. They had this crazy guy on vocals, Jack Brewer, who we're going to hear from, who was rattling off some insane poetry, some crazy spiels. Um, and then they had Biza, who was like like a post-punk John Coltrane on guitar. And it was just incredible sounds. And then all these other guest musicians and uh, band members. And every album is different. It all hangs together as Sacred Trust. So we're big fans. You know what, Ryan? We've had the good fortune to have a lot of guests who uh, were in bands that released stuff on SST. And almost all of them name drop Sacred Trust as... A favorite band yeah yeah for sure and i mean you were just mentioning that that documentary uh there's no way saccharine trust will get name dropped in a documentary like that there's no way maybe one day they'll, they'll have their own documentary i mean lesser bands have had documentaries made about them yeah that's true they're they're i don't know they're kind of like one of those bands that we've came across like uh, i don't know like angst or some of those happy squid bands that we uh, talk about where it's like, I just wonder if they're ever going to get their due or, or maybe they need like just an insanely comprehensive box set or something to raise their profile. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, some of this stuff is in, impossible to find. Like, well, let's be honest. If SST was, can I say a normal record label? Yeah, it wasn't normal. <laughs> If it if it was a normal record label, this stuff would be readily available or would have been reissued in some format by now. Yeah, you got to think. Is it even available? Like, you know, I didn't even look to see whether Sacred Trust has got a website where, like a Bandcamp site or anything like that where you could get this stuff. I don't think they do. But we should talk about that for a second, Ryan. So we're going to throw it over to this Jack Brewer interview here pretty soon, I'm assuming. And first of all, I'll say that we did have some technical difficulties. We debated about whether we should even air the, the interview, but it's Jack Brewer, so we decided to go with it. So apologies to Jack and to our listeners if anybody, you know, struggles with the interview, but it is what it is, and we jam a cono. It's Jack Brewer, man. But he does talk about, we had to cut all this out because the audio was just too bad, but he does talk about... Um, Chris Stein passing on, uh, their bass player, you know, since they kind of reformed, I think. 
it sounds like they they have some ideas for a new album. Yeah, that was great to hear that. I mean, we might get some new Sacrum Trust. Yeah. Yeah, it is too bad. But I mean, we've had a few interviews where the sound quality is is pretty brutal. And that's just, sometimes it's the connection. And we definitely jam Econo. Yeah. Um, I suppose if we started asking people for money or posting ads or something like that, we could get off our lazy asses and get some good gear. <laughs> I, I like to think our podcast is like it, our like each episode is like a different SST album. Some of them sound good and some of them sound like shit. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does depend on, you know, the weather, what our internet connection, you know, all yeah. sorts of things yeah. like, uh, you know, what time of year it is mm -hmm. that'll influence the sound quality. Yeah. Whether, uh, we, uh, remembered to turn all the knobs and twist all the dials the appropriate way. Yeah. But mad props to Jack for doing the show, and uh, it's a it's a great interview. Do we want to maybe turn over to that real quick? Yeah, let's do it. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Jack Brewer. How are you doing today, Jack? Oh, pretty good, thank you. How are you? How are you, Brent? Oh, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. So we're talking about. Well, I guess we're on the uh, Sacramental Element release, which is a compilation of Pagan Icons, Surviving You Always, and some some bonus tracks. Now, this release, I think, came out sometime in late 87. Do you know, was Sacrament Trust still still a band by that point? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. They were playing until 87, and they stopped and uh, started up again around 1998. You guys reactivated as early as 98, you say? Yeah, it took us a while and we wanted to record an album. The album was re-released on vinyl, on, on the water on the bridge, label, particularly by Craig Barbara, who worked at SST. So that's sort of an extension of SST. Yeah, for sure. He also released uh, some of your earlier stuff before Sacrum Trust, the extras. The extras that that was a, a, a new new band. Uh, I I was in after we got back from uh, Jewel Ten tour. Yeah, I came back. Uh, the Phil Van Dane of the Jack Blue band told me that he he started. Uh, Playing with, with Randy Kane, who used to work at SSG, and uh, okay. and Bill, Bill Marks, and uh, and, and uh, I went over there to check out the rehearsal. So uh, I brought a guitar, and uh, and uh, they, they let me join the band. <laughs> it was pretty, it was, it was pretty cool, actually. <laughs> it, was, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, that band was a lot of fun. Yeah. We, we played some uh, songs that uh, that I had written with Marshall. Uh, Jane or, or A.K. Marshall Mello. Okay. Yeah, and they were uh, pretty days, and Bill Marks is sang them. And uh, Bill Marks just a great singer, just just like uh, Marshall Marshall Mello. So around the time Sacrum Trust was breaking up, how how quickly after that did you form the Jack Brewer Band? It was about three years. So right after I had this. Uh, Sort of acoustic electric band called Sandbox with Robert Loveless, who was in Savage Republic. Oh, and, 
Did that project release anything? No, just just made, made that demo tapes. Uh, well, anyway, yeah, after after uh, Sandbox, I started the Jack Brewer band. Is that how you got a, associated with that Seventeen Pygmies album through through those guys? Yeah, Robert Loveless. Now, for the Jack Brewer band, was the idea to try and start more of a like a straight ahead rock band? I mean, that's what I hear when I, when I hear that stuff. Is oh yeah, yeah. It was a play straight ahead punk band, a rock band. Another release we've talked about, and Joe Carducci's mentioned to us as well, is the the single you did with the band Repulse Kaba. How did that happen? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was re- really really cool. It was it was Joe Joe Carducci's idea, and my cousin uh, was moving back out. Uh, out there, back to Michigan, and and okay. Chicago was on on the way. So I rode with him up there, and he stopped with us. He did a show with with us, and, and yeah, we we did we did a lot of a lot of, a lot of recordings, and as usual, there we often scratch notes and you know, notebooks and pieces of paper and kept in the bag, and. Uh, yeah, there were about about ten or fifteen songs, and I think one of the guys from Repost Kava uh, somehow re- released that stuff, uh, you know, for free on one of his um, websites. Oh, really? Did you do live shows? Uh, yeah, we we did one live show, and and my my, my cousin Joe Brewer opened up to get poetry reading. It, it was pretty good. Those guys were a lot of fun to hang out with. What about the bazooka connection? How did that come about? Did you just know them from like the the New Alliance SST scene? I knew them from uh, the Long Beach music scene. There was this uh, uh, this this place club that was underground, actually literally below the street, and uh, they they would uh, play play there a lot. And I got to know Vince McRooney. And at one point, I guess I was when I was doing it before I did that spoken word record. Um, I, I was thinking of um, just doing things with different bands to try to make recordings and do some sort right. of compilation. And, and Vince told me that Bazooka was you know, recording a record. He, he asked me just come by and try something. Then I was originally going to do one poem, and uh, we we just ended up actually recording a whole album and it was uh i mean there, there were no retakes and no 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 dubbing uh only thing we did that afterwards which is cut everything up and change it around sort of like what we did with world broken um okay yeah no no intention recording record but the next day uh Gave a, a copy, a tape of that to Greg Ginn, and he liked it. Once, once you re- release it, and you did you perform that stuff live as well? Uh, well, we we did, yeah, we did a, a, a live show. Uh, yeah, of of course, it wasn't the same exact songs, but the, the theme, right. the, the idea of a uh, uh, record, record improvised music with, with poems. Some improvised. So some of the poems were were improvised, and some were pre-written, and some were put together on the spot, like a slow piece of paper, and then a 
grabbed this piece of paper and I just grabbed that piece of paper and it all just oh, falls, in, falls in place. Does that come easy to you, improvising live? Uh, well, I think, it, I mean, at one point, uh, it, it, it did when I, when I thought about it a lot. You know, there's a time in my life when I worked with poetry a lot, but uh, I, I don't think I could do it right right now. It's, it's yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just you maybe have to be in the headspace a little bit more, like right oh, oh yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. We have to have more time for or more c- commitment uh, uh, to, to it. And you know, at this point in my life, I'm afraid to really do any anything because it some it always takes the folk focus away from the things that you actually have to do in life to survive so uh do you still write just for your own just um, for yourself not lately i mean i I looked at some poems uh, last last week my friend lucky always asked me for a few poems so so okay you know went back into my disc and looked them up i i I have a lot of stuff uh written but uh, the, the key is that, uh, the editing and it's the I mean, music uh, acts editor. You know, uh, when you're uh, when the, when the music comes on, you're looking at the, the the words. You'll find that some lines weren't as good as you thought you were when you wrote them, and you'll just skip right over them. Music just makes the words uh, real better. That's why I don't publish poems or, or anything because I think they're not finished until they're put to the test of, of uh, seeing if they work with, with the music. Right. Can we talk about Chris Stein? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. sure. Oh, yeah. he's a great, great man. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, I'm really sorry for, uh, for your loss. It sounds like uh, he was very, very well-loved in the by a lot of people in the in the scene. Yeah, it was a uh, uh, very caring p- person. He cared a lot about yeah. animals. I mean, he wasn't kind of caring person who just said I care, but he actually went out and, and did did good things and helped a lot of animals, dogs. Yeah, did adopt adopted. He adopted a lot himself. I think he had like six dogs. Um, Oh wow! Towards the end, yeah. Did you perform at the the uh, the benefit concert? Oh, oh, oh yeah, Jack Brubham um, with Joe, Joe Boss. Any highlights from the from the live shows? Did you did you get a chance to play any any uh, bigger shows? Like, would you say you played bigger shows when you got back together, or was it kind of um, similar to when they were bigger shows? Huh? Uh, and the scene we, we played, we were, you know, when we were one of the few bands that drew people. Uh, but, but, you know, that was our, our uh, that, that was our local South, South Bay scene. And it was either us or uh, any of Mike Watts' projects. Right, right. Yeah. Now, when you did play, when you did play recently, as the Jack Brewer band was, were um, any of the the guys that were on the albums? Did they play? I know Phil. I saw Phil played. 
I believe, with you at one of the shows. Yeah, yeah, Phil is a, you know, Phil and I are extras. We, you know, the Jack Brew band together for, for years, and also we have a, a sort of a country band kind of called Lord Ransom. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and that was named after kind of the, the guy I knew growing up to that uh, taught me how to play guitar. Mm-hmm. Oh. He's an artist, Ernest Lord Ransom, and uh, and was a, a country singer. I, mean, I think okay, yeah, things are hard for him because at that time, you know, Charlie Charlie Pride was 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 the only African American country singer and we paid attention uh, to. But this this guy guy was just really really great. Hard time breaking in though, maybe. Yeah, yeah, the, it, it, yeah. Industry. yeah. Luckily, he, he was able to make make a living selling selling his That's paintings. Great. One was actually used on a Bonanza show. <laughs> um, oh, really? Yes, that was a, a, a lucky break. So he didn't he didn't get paid for that. It was just a painting oh. that somebody bought, and, and they sold it to to. So it was a it it, it was a. Uh, Bonanza reunion show that came you know, uh, one of starring the sons of the the characters from the original series. One of oh, I see. Team, you know. Now, when you play with this band, is it is it classic country stuff or is it originals? Uh, 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 it, it, it's it's a it's original. Ed 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 Wood, uh, the, the drummer from Jack Brew Band, he's in it, and he and and. Okay. and and my 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 niece actually sings for is a singer and he, uh, Ed worked in her right right most of uh, the, the the songs and I I wrote I wrote music for a few of them and um actually, yeah and Phil wrote, wrote music for for some of them uh, but okay. Ed and my niece uh, Brandy Pym right 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 the lyrics. And actually, That's she, cool. yeah. oh yeah, she, she's a, she's pretty good. I mean, of course, much better singer than me, but she's got that knack for writing lyrics. I'm a fan of Ed's from the. I'm a big Lazy Cowgirls fan. Oh so. yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So, so I, 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 I see Pat, Pat, Pat once in a while. Yeah, he's still going strong. Oh, oh, yeah, they are. They're amazing. The way he, he he moves and his his singing is it's it's just great. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, he's yeah. um, he seems to be playing shows just about every weekend still. So yeah, uh, hopefully when this, yeah. when I get back out in the public again, when shut down, I can check him out again. Uh, out again, he's uh, He's a really good guy. Do you see Rich Ford at all? Is he around? Uh, no, not for, for years. It's uh, he sort of dis- disappeared. Um, I, I don't know what he did. Maybe moved out of state or something. But um, he's not on Facebook or anything a- 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 anymore. Yeah, he seems to be MIA. I've had a few SST people ask me if I've heard from for heard from anybody who knows where he is. So. Yeah, yeah, he was in the Jack Brew band twice. Uh, you know, of course, he was in the original when it first started in the eighties. Then the right. Jack Brew band broke up about eight years. Or so, and after Sacred Trust got back together, then 
a year later, the Jack Brew Band got back together, and Richie started with Richie Ford playing bass. Right. You have Phil Bandino on guitar. Rich, Rich switched over to bass. Yeah, but but he didn't like bass, and he switched to guitar, and then uh, um, he, he he had some other music thing going, and uh, he right. yeah, was interested to that. But it was a fun fun run both both times. For sure, and these bands, a lot of them were. Um, I think for, for me, the reason to do them is just to hang out with my friends, you know, good friends. Friends and play with great musicians, and and uh, otherwise, I you know, if I would probably become a, sh- a sh- shut in, wouldn't wouldn't have any, yeah. any friends. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, it's you know, for a lot of us, if that's you know, some guys play baseball, some guys uh, play cards, some guys play music. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell people it's like a a, a hobby. I don't. Yeah. Um, put a lot of money into to do. Get paid once That's in right, yeah. to do our. Uh, <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jack, for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, Great having you on. Yeah. Oh well, well, you're welcome, and it's uh, it a lot of fun, and um, it's, I appreciate you guys uh, to, to t- thinking of thinking of me, calling me. Yeah. I, oh, I'm sure there's lots of people out there that'll be happy to hear from you. All right, like we said. Huge thanks to Jack for doing the show. Too bad about the uh, the audio audio quality, but um, the fact that he took the time to speak to us is hugely appreciated. Yeah, sounds like a great dude. Really humble, interested in still making art, and very cool to just kind of hear about the guy. Like hear from the guy. Yeah, that sure. has has all those crazy words, man. Yeah, it was great to talk to Jack, and thanks a lot for being on the podcast. When I was listening to the interview, too, I was just thinking about that crazy rant he goes into on Surviving You Always. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, there's a great story about that in this interview with Mark Hodson. So this was kind of a last minute for us, and we kind of cobbled it together at the 11th hour. And like I said, with these uh, with these compilations, we... You know, it's nice to bring people something a little bit different for them, you know, because we've kind of talked about these tracks already. So we wanted to to get give everybody something they could really get into with Saccharine Trust. So we decided to, to hit up Mark, too, and he was super accommodating, which was really, really awesome. Yeah, I love all the bass playing on this record, too. Lots of cool, oh, yeah. lots of great chords, lots of unusual sounds that are totally Saccharine Trust. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Mark Hodson. How are you doing today, Mark? Very, very good, man. Glad to hear from you guys. It's, it's nice to hear about something that happened, what, 25 years ago? Yeah. Something like that? It's been a while. Years. One was 84, so that's 35 years ago? Yeah. Shit. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm fucking old. <laughs> well, take me back before, before Soccer and Trust. How did you, did you start out on bass? Actually, I started out on tuba. I played tuba in the high school marching band. Okay. Uh, we used to drop acid and do halftime shows and shit like that. <laughs> now, the only reason I bring that up is not because of the acid, but I kind of started playing bass with a very, very different style in that um, tuba in the marching band and with um, like, like big band stuff that we were doing was much more melodic. Right. So when I started playing bass, I just kind of took that with me. 
Um, I got in my first band in 79. I'd been roading for a band for a couple of years in Hollywood. We were playing like Madame Wong's and Troubadour and stuff. And then I got inducted into a band called The Adapters. It was like ska, punk rock, kind of clash kind of a thing. Okay. And what was it, What was it called? The Adapters. Oh, okay. It was 1979. And I mean, my, my very first gig, I was 19 years old. My very first gig was the opening for the weirdos of the Troubadour on a Saturday night. I was very, very fortunate. Point being is, is part of the reason that it worked was that I didn't just play, you know, I, I was playing bass kind of like a tuba player. Right. Kind of more like horn parts rather than just staccato notes and stuff like that. So I did that for a year. And then I had a Mexican girlfriend that turned out to be Joe Biza's girlfriend's cousin. Okay. I met Biza really early on. I met Biza in like probably 79 or 80. And he used to come to shows and stuff like that. So I'd known him for a long time. And then I got kicked out of the adapters because they said my meter sucked. <laughs> but, but it turned out that the drummer was hooked on Dristan. Now, I don't know how old you are, but Dristan back in 1979 and 1980 was pure ephedrine. Yep. <laughs> so, so this guy was whacked out of his mind on this, you know, cold medicine shit. And it was his meter that sucked. I found this out years later after they kicked me out. So anyway. <laughs> So I got kicked out of that band, and then I started my own band down in Orange County called The Factory. Right. And again, I was still friends with Biza and his girlfriend, Raquel. And then um, Earl quit Sacred Trust. Earl was the first bass player on the Pagan Icons, and he quit to join the Circle Jerks. Okay. Which I think lasted about 45 minutes or something like that. <laughs> I, don't actually ever, I mean, I don't think he'd ever did any albums with them or whatever. No, but I, mean, I don't for, think so. For me, it was totally fortuitous. I joined, and like I said, I'd known Bison for a couple of years. So they brought me in, and that was, oh, 82, I think, 82 or 83. And they brought me in, what was so amazing, they brought me in, and I'm like, okay, and we're going to do an album. I'm like, fuck yeah, this is just... <laughs> so I was very fortunate. But like I said, part of the reason, if you know Bison well enough, I mean, over the years, he's very always been into jazz and stuff like that. So I think, and I'm just guessing this fact, that, I mean, part of what he liked about my playing was that I didn't play like the typical bass player, that I was playing melodic, and I was playing, like I said, kind of horn parts, almost jazzy kind of stuff. So when I joined, they were do they finished the Pagan Icons, and they're like, we're doing a new album, do you want to write some songs? I was like, oh, fuck yeah. So like I said, again, it's just right place, right time. So I did, let's do Surviving You Always, um, Lot seed of a cat cracker on the, on the Surviving You Alls album. So at, at 23 years old, I was very lucky to come in and join the band and write songs. And then we recorded the album, which yeah. was just fantastic. Now, were you coming from a jazz? Oh, God, were, were you no. playing jazz or? Oh, I, I fucking hated jazz. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, jazz is a four letter word. But part of the reason I think that, that Joe brought me on was that Pagan Icons, it was a cool album. I mean, it's good, but it's very simple, and it's very, I don't know, how would you say it? It, 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 There's not a lot of pop but sensibilities to it. Right. And he see me playing in, like, two different bands. The Adapter is my first band. It, was, I was, it wasn't my band, but in fact, it was my band. I sang and wrote the songs. And so I think he brought me in to kind of give it that kind of a pop, I won't say pop feel, but a pop influence. When I started with that, it was just like, it just kind of fit because... But the great thing, and I would say the bad thing about Sacred Trust is that it's always changing. Right. You know, it, it's it's like a fungus or whatever like that. It's like, 
depending on how the light hits it on what side of the tree it's on that day or that year or that, that millennium or whatever, it's always shifting, it's always changing, which is brilliant about the band. Yeah. At this time, I think it's kind of a curse because there's never been any real solid foundation. How yeah. Say. I know what you're saying for sure. It's and that comes that comes from me from a pop background, right? I mean, Joe would say, "Oh, it's the greatest fucking thing" because it's like jazz; it's always changing. Right. Me from a pop background, I think, and like I said, it's just my opinion, but. I think that's why it didn't hit as hard as like bands like Flag did and and, and Hooster Do and um, Minutemen and stuff like that because they were very very it was always the kind of same thing. So like I said, I think that's the blessing and the curse of Doctor Trust in that it was always changing and nobody knew what to expect, which is good and bad. But also, if you heard the great album like when Surviving You Always came out, the, the critical reviews were just amazing. I'm not, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I mean they were like. I think one of the great lines, I think it was a review in Washington that said, Second Trust makes ugliness or makes uh, makes the world safe for ugliness. <laughs> that, then World Broken came out and it was just this fucking clusterfuck of jazz and it wasn't pop at all. Right. So I'm not suggesting that it was better or worse, but it threw people for a loop. For sure it did, yeah. And even Surviving You All, it threw people for a loop. Icon, you know, like, what the fuck is this? It still had Joe, obviously, and it still had um, Jack. So the lyrics were there and the weirdness was there, but it had, I think it had songs finally. So as far as the songs go, like, what was the writing process? Were you jamming as a as a band? Was, was uh, Joe coming with, like, a riff? How did that work? It was a combination of both, because, like I said, I'd been in... The adapters that I was in was basically, it was, it was somebody else's band, so they are like, here's a song, play it, and I learned how to play it. And then when I started The Factory with his buddy of mine, he was writing his songs and singing, and I was writing my songs and singing. So there was much more of a um, ownership, shall we say, than songs. So when I got in Saccharin, Joe, we had a lot of songs that were from Pagan Icons or Human Certainty and stuff like that. Uh, we don't need freedom, you know, that we were doing. But... Joe would like throw out a riffer here or something like that for his songs. But Jay, generally, when I brought in songs, they were kind of finished. Right. I would have a chorus, or I would rather, I would have a verse and a chorus and a bridge. So it was, everything worked together, but at the same time, there was a little bit more structure to it. Right. And I think Joe found that interesting because rather than just making shit up on the fly and it just kind of, you know, evolving and, and boiling or whatever, or not boiling. There was a structure to it. It's his way of writing the songs like, oh God, give or takes and stuff like that. He started writing more in the like parts. Like here's the, here's the verse, here's the chorus, here's the bridge, which was more of my style, so it worked better. Mm. But as far as just jamming, I was too young, man. I was like 22 years old and jamming was just not something I did very well. Right. I still, I'm 59 now, but I still hate jamming. <laughs> yeah. It's just musical masturbation to me. Yeah. <laughs> but that's I grew up on Tom Jones and Tula Clark and, you know, and um, and that kind of like proper songwriting. I don't mean proper judgmentally, but it was just I was used to a structure and a really, really cohesive kind of sense of beginning, middle and end. And I think that's where it worked well with that album. I think that's where people were so surprised because it still had the fucking weird ass Jack. It still had the weird ass and Tony Sister, the drummer, who was just phenomenal, probably yeah. the best drummer I've ever played with. There was this foundation there that when I brought stuff in, 
I knew that it could just go click and it did. So we were very fortunate. I think we wrote an entire album in about six months. Wow. There's a few other credits on here. Vidal and Watson. Who's that? Oh, Tomkin Watson from Solomon Peter. That's who I thought it might be, yeah. Yeah, I don't know who Vidal is. So what happened is we toured and we were on the road for like ever and we came back and I just graduated college before we left and we came back after the tour and they wanted to go out right on the road again. And I had already signed up for my master's degree at USC. And I was like, eh, so it just kind of, you know, and they were fine. They wanted to tour. They wanted to be out on the road all the time. So and I wasn't all interested in it. Yeah. So I guess yeah. that, that answers my question about um, why you left the band. It was, I think it was a combination of things. I think it was one of those, like, it was just, what we did was fucking brilliant. And, I, and again, I, I don't want to sound like a pretentious asshole, but it was like, it was just super brilliant. We didn't know what the fuck we were doing, and it just went boom. And it was just this amazing, melee, catastrophe, cacophony of fucking really great songs. And we've got a lot of videos of us playing and different gigs and stuff like that. And it was just it was just brilliant. But when you tour, I mean, we were on the road for, God, I don't even remember how long, but when you're playing five or six nights a week, it's fun. And that's a blast to it. But I think, I don't know if I really noticed it or, or, or was smart enough to recognize it at the time, but it was just like, this is great. It was like, this is just done. It's like a piece of art. This giant painting, like, like 30, 40, 50 feet high or whatever. When well, you're done, you go, okay, I'm finished. Right. And there's not a lot more we could do. And also, Joe was getting much more jazzy. Jack was getting much more stream consciousness, kind of beatnik, um, beat poet kind of a thing. Right. It was growing much more linear. And I was more, I wanted to do like more of a pop kind of a thing. Gotcha. So I don't, I'm not saying it was good or bad, but it was, it was kind of like, for me, it, I, wanna, I don't want to say it ran its course, but it was like, you did this. It was great. And you just kind of held it and go, this is fucking brilliant. But to continue on with that, I didn't see going anywhere further, Yeah, shall we say. Any standout shows from that tour? Oh, God. Oh, we played. Oh, fuck. Oh, we did Perkins Palace in Pasadena, right? And we opened it up for Nick Cave and the Bad Dudes. Oh, wow. So we played the show, and it was packed. I mean, it was just. And and, and uh, Perkins Palace is a beautiful old theater in Pasadena, California, uh, about 20, 30 minutes north east of Hollywood and it was just packed and we did this show and it was just one of those shows where it's just like it's just you know I've been playing for well god I've been playing for 40 years now and over those 40 years maybe I would say a dozen times where you feel like you just got the audience in the palm of your hand and everything just goes boom so we did this show and it was fucking great so we're finished and we're in the back we're in our dressing room and Gary Tovar was the Golden Boy show. And Gary Tovar comes over and he's like, hey, do you guys know what to do for heroin overdose? Nick's in bad shape. <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck. And I love Nick Cave. I, I've been a big birthday party fan and bad seeds, obviously. So we go running into the dressing room and Nick is sitting there in a chair, like puking all over him. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, oh, another icon blow the shit. Yeah. <laughs> but then I came like two bananas. And he goes out on stage and does one of the most amazing shows I've ever seen. So from a personal point, it was a great show that we played. And then to be in the front row watching this shit after this guy pretty much almost died like 30 minutes before, <laughs> it was just phenomenal. Oh, and then I, I, I have to say, probably the other most favorite show. Our first night of the tour, 
Uh, we played at the Metro in Chicago. I've been playing a lot of small shows. Up in, I think we played for about a thousand people, so which for me was just brilliant. Yeah. And we fucking yeah. killed it. It was just the place went nuts. And I was I've been a bartender before that, so I knew how to break into the bar. So I broke into the bar back area and stole a bottle of champagne. And I grabbed all my guys from the band, and we stumbled our way to the top floor of the Metro. And it was on the, I don't know, eighth or ninth floor, right. downtown Chicago. And you can see the whole Chicago skyline. And we cracked this bottle of champagne and drank and watched the skyline. It was freezing cold. It was probably <laughs> July. But again, it was just, it was like that. It was like, you know, like, okay, we've, we've done it now. We did the album. The album just come out. Um, we've done a show at the On Room, or the On Club in Hollywood before that. But it was our first show of the tour, and it was just, you know. And like I said, I think that's kind of why I walked away when I did. It was like there wasn't a whole lot more that was going to happen. Yeah. For the band, obviously, because I knew the band. I mean, I, I thought Jack and Joe are going to be together probably forever. But for me, it was kind of like I came and did my part. It's almost like a play or something like that. You come in, you do your role, and you go, okay, the play is over. Next. What do you recall about recording with Spot at Total Access? Oh, shit. Let's see. Total fucking nightmare. Well, what happened was, you know, SST were the cheapest motherfuckers in the world. Um, we were recording at Total Access, I think it was in Hermosa Beach. So they would only pay for time. We would only record from midnight until like four in the morning because that was, that was the cheapest they could get. So we would stumble in there, you know, and it was a lot of fun. But, oh, what's the song? Um, I don't know. Um, uh, Satan will be at the foot of your deathbed. Right, right, yep. <laughs> we recorded that out in the parking lot. Jack did the vocals for that in the parking lot oh, wow. on, New Eve, on New Year's Eve. So if you go back to that closely on the album, there's fireworks going off in the background and there's fucking gunshots going off. You, what did I tell you that, Satan? It's a motherfucker. And you're in a shotgun block. He's you from the beginning. And... It was just, I was standing there just going, this is fucking brilliant. And again, that's kind of why, I mean, I didn't walk away. I I don't know. Maybe I did or whatever. Again, it goes back to like, this is genius. We're never going to fucking recreate this again. Right. We're never going to do this weird little fucked up thing ever. They they still wanted to. And like I said, I'm not genuine, but for me, it was just kind of like, okay, you know, it, it was almost like writing a book or something like that. It's done. Fine. Like I said, I love those guys. And I've seen them play. I just moved back to the States. Oh, in uh, 2016, I was in Amsterdam for 11 years. Okay. And I think one of the first things I saw was the original Sacred Trust with, with Biza and um, Jack and Rob on drums and Earl on bass at one of the Liquid Key barbecues, which is the thing they do in LA. And it was fucking brilliant. So it was great. But like I said, they're still good. I and mean, I've seen them half a dozen times with the new band, Chris Stein, who unfortunately passed away recently. Yeah. I think the best thing about that band is that they keep changing personnel. It seems to work for them. <laughs> it really does. Because like I said, I think that's part of the reason I walked away. It was like, I did my part. This is, this is the best I can do. This is all I want to do. And then Bob Fitzer came in after me, who... After that, I forget who was on. Um, oh, I think Ralph Gordeski played with him for a while. And then Chris Stein, who was fucking brilliant. God bless his soul. But what's very important about Sucker and Trust is that it keeps changing, but at the same time, you've got the foundation of Joe and Jack. What did you do next musically? 
oh god what did i do after that oh shit oh i put together this band called the fontanelles like an all-star band it was me from second trust the original drummer from um social distortion Derek o'brien and then the singer and the guitar player from the band called outer circle big big long beach band okay which put out an album and so we were together that was 86 through 88 or 89 so i did that and then oh god i won't say i get bored easily but at the same time Tell me that uh, of the projects I've worked with, it's kind of like when it's done, it's done, you know. And I, I see so many bands just like I said, flogging the dead horse. I'm like, oh come on, we got to keep doing this, and that's fine with Jack and Joe. That's fucking great because they keep bringing in different people. Yeah, for and sure. I've always got a side projects the Nickelodeon's, uh, Universal Congress, which I think is fucking brilliant. Yeah, they are. Uh, oh, and then he plays with oh the Tom Sherpas and stuff like that. So. Buys of being a bunch of different bands also helps keep it fresh. It'll be interesting to see what they do now that Chris Dine is gone, if they even keep it together. Yeah, it will be. Yeah. It, it sounds like they've maybe been working on material. So Could be. Well, it's funny because when they put Sacrament Press together, the original band with Earl and Rob from Pagan Icons, it was it was easy because, I mean, it was a relatively simple album. I'm, I'm not, again, not, not, not giving anybody any shit. Yep. But then it's like, oh, we... We should do it. Are you, you know, we'll do surviving you always. I listen to the album, I'm like, there's no fucking point. <laughs> that shit was really intricate and it was really involved and it would have taken, it probably would have taken six months of rehearsal just to be able to do a gig. Yeah, for sure. And I was like, nah, I don't, I don't have the time. Yeah. Pagan Icons, again, was simple. It, again, Pagan Icons was in, God, what, 82, I think? 81, I think. 81. So, and, and again, that's fine. It was simple and it was concrete. And it was just, it was very pure and simple and, and, and just essential, shall we say. But Surviving You Always, man, we went fucking batshit crazy on that album. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't necessarily mean to say we went just weird to be weird, but it just happened. It was just so easy to just go, what the fuck? And we went, what the fuck? And it turned out, I think it was one of the most proud things I've ever done. It definitely set the tone for SST as far as like, this label is going to do some weird shit. Yeah, the problem is, is that Greg Ginn didn't know what to fucking do with it. I'm not sure anyone would have known what to do with this album in 1984. <laughs> yeah, Ginn was just the coolest bastard, though. I mean, he was just, you know, he was more interested in how many how many records it sold rather than paying attention to what the reviews were. Oh, yeah. You know, and there again, but there again, it was fucking 84. I mean, oh, God, we didn't know. I mean, I had no idea that it was going to last, you know, for 35 fucking years. I'll tell you a really interesting story. I used to do music videos for a living. I was a lighting designer and a lighting guy. Okay. And we did a rancid video in, oh, God, 2002, maybe? It was a blood clot video by rancid. Okay. And, um, I knew the roadie. I knew one of the roadies. And so he knew who I was, and he told the band who I was, and they came up to me afterwards. And they're like, oh, dude, man, oh, we love Tiger and Touch. You guys were such a huge influence. And Lars, the guitar player, asked me, he said, I'm curious, though. He said, I, I, he said, you know, does it kind of piss you guys off because you started this shit and never made any money? Now bands like us and Green Day and, you know, Hardy Danger and all that crap and Good Charlotte are making money off of this. Right. And I said, no. And, and he looked at me and I said, no, I'm not just being the pretentious old fucking jackass or whatever it is. We never thought we were going to make money from it. I said, so the fact that bands like you guys are making money out of it, I said, I couldn't care less. I said, I don't like it. I don't dislike it. But I said, it doesn't bother me. 
I said, if we, you know, laid the groundwork for shit like this to become commercial and become more widely accepted than it was in 1984, fucking great. Yeah. But I'm not lost because I didn't give a shit. Dude, we toured. We got paid $20 a day each. We had no <laughs> hotels. We had eight guys. No, we had 12 guys in a Ford Econoline van with a fucking U-Haul trailer for the equipment. We slept on people's floors. We slept on the fucking um, stages of clubs before we played. At the end of the night, Rollins would go, hey, can anybody put up 12 people tonight? And we would sleep on their fucking floor. <laughs> so it was not glamorous. Yeah. But I didn't expect it to be. None of us did. Yeah. Looking back, it was like, it was what it was. It was 1984. And, and the fact that SSD could book a series of shows like that without the internet. I mean, come on, dude. That's fucking brilliant. Yeah, no I mean, kidding. Genius for the time. It really was. Right on, Mark. Thanks for being a guest on the podcast today. It was great chatting with you. Ran, I hope it didn't ramble on too long. No, like no. Said, we had a great time. We had a great time. It was a cool thing for me. It was just a small little fucking piece. I think it was been two years, maybe three years. And it was great. And it was done. And I walked away. And now I look back on that record and I say, hey, man, I did something really, I don't know if important is the right word, but something that stuck around. So just the fact that you invited me on your podcast tonight to talk about it. Says a lot. So thank you very much, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, man. Hey, keep in touch, my friend. That's one hell of a two banger there. We got Jack and Mark. <laughs> it's actually, Ryan, I need to correct you because now would be a good time to mention the drummer for Surviving You Always, Tony Cicero. Yeah. As you know, Ryan, I interviewed him, I don't know, six months to a year ago for the blog and never got around to posting it. So I first of all, I have to apo apologize to Tony, but that is up on our blog right now at mojackpod.com. You got it up? Yeah, it's up. Wow, man. So it's not a two-banger. <laughs> oh, God, here when, we go. When you, have, when you have Jack Brewer and Mark Hudson on your podcast and Tony Cicero up on your blog, do you know, you know what that's called? I want to say it's a three-banger. No, it's called a full sack. <laughs> God, that's unfortunate. Saccharin trust, man. I know, I know. I really like uh, the interview with uh, Jack and Mark. I mean, it's great. It adds a whole new element to listening to these tunes. I like Mark. He still sounds like enthusiastic about this part of his life. Yeah. You know, like just kind of getting in there for this record and um, just creating some, something completely unique. Um, I thought he had a, a really good vibe about him. Yeah. A few things I liked from his interview, you kind of touched on this, but he does talk a little bit about how Saccharin Trust is always changing and that being a little bit of a blessing and a curse. You know, it's, it's what we love about them, but maybe made it hard for people to, to follow them. Yeah, they, it was hard for them to keep momentum, for sure. And we yeah. mentioned that in the earlier episodes, too, of the show when we covered Saccharin Trust. Yeah. A quote that I think he mentions he got from a review or something like that is, Saccharin Trust makes the world safe for ugliness. I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's and, a great one. And I was thinking about Gary Tovar is a guy he mentions in the interview who ran Golden Voice, which was like a booking agency. Do you remember when we talked about Gary Tovar one time? I don't, actually. When would we have mentioned that? He's the guy that smoked out Gin. Remember when 
<laughs> there was Greg Ginn had never smoked dope. Oh, no way. Yeah, and he was like, had to go meet with Gary Tovar or something, and he was all nervous that he was going to make him smoke pot. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Pretty sure that was Gary Tovar. Do you want to talk about the tunes? Yeah, let's do that. All right. History lesson, part two. What I'll say about pagan icons is I still appreciate it for, you know, for what it is. It's super different from the stuff that came out at the time it was released. Uh, but to me, it's just not the classic that it's hailed as, you know? Well, I don't know. I think it is classic. I just think that it is, I think it unfairly overshadows the rest of Saccharine Tr Trust's discography. Yeah, that's fair. That's well, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. It's hailed yeah. as the Saccharine Trust classic, and to me it's not. I would put this and We Became Snakes ahead of it. Yeah. I would too, but I still like Pagan Icons. I like it for, it's. Uh, it definitely has like a really strong post-punk feel in particular for me, which I, I really... I really like. I think I mentioned when we did uh, that episode, episode six, about how some of the tunes remind me of Joy Division, and that some of the guitar playing is really something that I enjoy in um, kind of a gang of four type of way sometimes. And so I really like it, but I think people just like it more because it's the first one. Yeah. I think it's as simple as that. Could be right, yeah. Yeah. So That's that track one to eight, anyways. Yeah, what's track nine? Track nine, Hearts and Barbarians, is from the New Alliance compilation, Cracks in the Sidewalk, which we'll get to on episode 92, because it was re-released re by SST. That one has a number of other tracks that we've mentioned before on the podcast, like 9.30 May the 2nd by The Minutemen, Black Flag, Clocked In, and then there's a couple of other kind of one-off bands, on this uh, cracks in the sidewalk, like kindled imagination, artless entanglements, and sharp corners, which I'm looking forward to discussing in a few episodes. You know what, though, Ryan? That is New Alliance Records one. I believe it came out in 1980. So I'm wondering if that is the very first Saccharine Trust release. It might be. It might be. It's 1980. Pagan Icons sure. is 1981. So let me see here. The cassette version of this record well the only version of this record i should say is on cassette so tracks one to eight and eleven were recorded at media art in april of 1981 so a christmas cry was recorded at the same session as yeah. pagan icons yeah and nine and ten were recorded at media art in september of 1980 and track number 10 is a song called Disillusioned Fool, which I think we've mentioned before. It comes out uh, originally on an L like a compilation called Life is Ugly, Why Not Kill Yourself on New Underground Records. And we've, if you recall, we've for sure mentioned those comps. This one has uh, songs by Red Cross on it, Descendants, Anti, Ill Will, Civil Dismay, China White, Mood of Defiance, Minutemen, Hundred Flowers, The Urinals, a band called Zurich, 1916, The Plebs, and then uh, Second Trust closes out that album. A Christmas Cry is track 11, and we've also mentioned on the podcast before this Wicked compilation 7-inch, 
on Water Under the Bridge Records. It's a split between Saccharin Trust and the Minutemen. And it's basically, I, I guess, it's these three hard-to-find tracks that aren't on Pagan Icons or Surviving You Always as one side of the compilation. There's Hearts and Barbarians, Disillusioned Fool, and A Christmas Cry. And then the Minutemen tracks are the uh, the Minutemen tracks that are kind of similarly situated on these compilations that also appeared on the Minutemen version of this cassette, I guess you could say, uh, My First Bells. So These anyone... Sacrum Trust tracks kind of remind me of early Minutemen in a way. Oh, yeah. That, that's the other thing, too, about Pagan I Like, when you stack Pagan Icons up against Surviving You Always or uh, We Became Snakes, I'm not saying at all for a second that early Sacrum Trust were copying the Minutemen or anything like that. But I think Sacrum Trust was much more unique on the later records that we like more. And then the final 12 tracks on this compilation are off of Surviving You Always. Now, Brant, do you remember what were our ballot result picks for Pagan Icons and Surviving You Always? You probably have that list somewhere. While you're pulling that up, I'll mention, you know what I really liked about Surviving You Always this time around was um, kind of stuck out for me more than the other times was the Wicked Saxophone on this oh, record. Yeah. Pretty sure we mentioned that last time, but this time it stuck out even more for me. I'll quiz you when we get to the ballot result. Oh, you're you're gonna quiz me. I'm gonna quiz you. Yep. Uh, I wanted you to tell me so you couldn't quiz me. <laughs> well, what else do you want to talk about with respect to these tracks? Probably the artwork, hey? Well, I was just gonna say, like, for me, as soon just listening to this compilation, you know, I'm grooving to it. But as soon as we get into "Surviving You Always" on the comp, I'm way more into it. To me, "Surviving You Always" by Sacrum Trust kind of defines the SST sound. Really? Yeah. That's a big statement. Well, I mean, think about it, man. You know, they were one of the earliest bands on the label. I think really set the set the stage for a lot of what was to come. I think you're going to get trolled for that comment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to get trolled for that. I see what you're saying in the sense that did they define the sound? Maybe not. But for me, maybe not. Uh, but I can see how there are there are elements that are reminiscent in that record for the bands that came before and came after Surviving You Always. I can see oh, that. I like the lyric Jack Brewer, where Jack Brewer is all like, I was minding my own business standing at the gates of Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and maybe it's because we interviewed Mark for this, but... His bass playing on on the Surviving You Always album is pretty key to their sound on the album, you know? Oh, yeah. The chords, the mm -hmm. chords and the melodies that he's playing, like he has kind of some droning notes and some chords. It's very cool. I, I have a few uh, things I should correct here. <laughs> this goes way back to when we actually posted the, the Surviving You Always episode. Oh, man. Yeah, here's from one of our listeners, Jeff Kaplan. He says... I thought this was an interesting point. I'm more for, forgiving on the Doors cover. I think they do a good job with it. It also makes total sense that Saccharin Trust may have been Doors fans. Both bands were led by guys who were just as much poets as they were lead singers. 
and they were backed by rock musicians who had a very healthy love of jazz. That is a solid observation. Yeah. And then uh, another listener, I don't know his name, he just goes by Badger, said Yahweh, or like the track called YHWH, I think it's called. Oh yeah, on acid. Yeah, is a direct transliteration of the Hebrew Hebrew spelling of Yahweh, the name of the Judeo-Christian God. Is that a correction? I guess so. Oh, we may not have uh, actually I don't made think, note of that. I don't think we knew that. Yeah, we were just making stuff up. Yeah. Hey, what's Kaplan's band again? I got to check them out again. Uh, too Many Voices. Ah, uh, right, right, right. I got to check them out again. Yeah, they are good. Unfortunately, don't have anything for sale in physical copy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's talk about the art. I guess it's, what would you call it? The Saccharine Trust snake on well, a crucifix? Well, isn't it Pettibone art? It's Pettibone artwork for sure. Uh, originally, I think for the first time it appeared as an insert in Pagan Icons, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think so. Well, it's cool because it's a, it's a Saccharine Trust ST, but it's a snake ST. wrapped around a cross, which is really cool. Yeah. This time in color. The cassette is pretty, I don't know, pretty bare bones, I guess. Doesn't really provide much. It has some pretty good detailed recording credits in it. Um, it explains how, you know, for pagan icons on uh, bass, it was Earl Liberty and drums, Robert Holtzman. And then on Surviving You Always, Mark Hudson on bass, Tony Cicero on drums. Man, Tony's and, just a monster on this album too, hey? Yeah, there's lots of, uh, I don't know what the word is or the description on drums, is it flam or rolls or something like that? Like he's got a lot of little, like he's got fast hands, you know? Oh yeah. And uh, it was definitely impressive. Great sound, great band. It's a great sounding record too. Well, that's it. That's the sacramental element. I mean, the only thing, I guess, inside on the J card, they have the artwork, which uh, we discussed in those episodes. Nothing new to see here, really. I'm ready to grill you on the ballot result. Go for it. Ballot result. No, no, you hit me with what you think our ballot result was for sac- for Pagan Icons. Pagan Icons, I'm going to guess it's I am right. You are right. Okay, good. Okay, what about for Surviving You Always? So, I can't recall that, but I would have advocated for the house to concrete the system. It was speak. Really? Yeah. Okay, so this time I want it to be the house, the concrete, the system. I like that one. Uh, that's definitely got some really great bass playing in it. I'm not hearing agreement. <laughs> I also really like the Cat Cracker, which is probably one I liked the last time, but I'm not sure that's Jack on vocals. Obviously, it has to have Jack on vocals. I think that might be Joe Bison vocals for that one. Yeah, maybe. We can't put a Saccharine Trust song in that doesn't have Jack Brewer on vocals, so... Oh, and I, you need his words. Yeah, let's do yours. Oh, yes! Is that the Satan is a motherfucker one? No, that's um, uh, Remnants. Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the one where he's just going nuts. But um, the reason I like the house, the concrete, and the system is it starts off with some just some wicked bongos. Mm, mm-hmm. and, and then it just gives her, man. That's a great story that Mark tells in the interview about recording that the <laughs> vocal for that remnants outside right on saccharine trust i look forward to the next time 
One more for Saccharin Trust. Hey, the live one. Yep. I bet it's good. Oh, yeah. Ryan, what's next week? Next week, we're going to get our willies painted. It's episode 85, the Painted Willy album, live from Van Nuys. Looking forward to that one. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks again to our guests, Mark Hodson and Jack Brewer. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.